VoiceOver describes what's happening on your iPhone screen. VoiceOver on settings. So you can navigate it just by listening. Books, contacts, calendar, double tap to open. Breakfast with Anna from 10 to 11. And get on with your day. Accessibility. There's more to iPhone. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what Big Wireless does. They charge you a lot, we charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Hello and welcome to Danny in the Valley, your weekly dispatch from behind the scenes and inside the minds of the top people in tech. Before we get to this week's show, two kind of administratory things. One, season two, I must inform you, is coming to a close. Yes, we've got a few more episodes this month, uh, perhaps bleeding into the first week of August. We're still finalizing the plans, um, but then we will take the rest of August off. And we will be back around mid-September. Of course, I won't stop working. We are cooking up some really fun stuff for season three. So I think you'll dig that. We have big new guests, more special reports, maybe even an investigation or two. Oh yeah, it's all happening. And the other thing, of course, while we're here, how's about a review? If you like the show, press pause right now. Just do a quick rating, maybe jot down a few words if you feel so inclined. It's a huge help. It really helps other people find the show. So please take a moment and do that. Okay, that is it for housekeeping. Now, let's get to today's show. Yo, technology, what is it all about? So we think we are right at the start of an unbelievable new wave that will be just as big as physical fitness around mental fitness. And it seems obvious, but why do we not treat our minds with the same care and respect as many of us do our bodies? This can be the Nike for the mind. This week on Danny in the Valley, as you might have guessed from what you just heard, we are talking meditation. And our esteemed guest is Michael Acton-Smith, who is the CEO of Calm, the meditation app that Apple last year rated as the app of the year in the App Store. So more than 27 million people have downloaded it, which is uh, pretty amazing. So I headed over to um, Calm's headquarters in downtown San Francisco to see how they managed it. And their office is what you might expect. Polished concrete floors, walls in pastel blue, a little breakout area with sofas and astroturf. And apparently, every day, whoever feels like it gathers in a conference room at 10 a.m. for what they call the Daily Calm. It's a guided group meditation. And as I was there around then, I said, why not? So I filed in with about a dozen other employees to try to get my morning fix of Zen. So just find that balanced position. Relaxed. Get alert. And when you're ready, bring your awareness to the breath. And begin observing it as it fills your lungs up with air and softly releases. Now I know what you're thinking. This is all very California and crunchy. 
but don't dismiss it because this is a real business. Calm just raised $27 million at a $250 million valuation, and it's growing like a weed. And when you have everybody from Apple to Facebook introducing tools to help you limit screen time, and this rapidly growing body of research connecting social media with increased rates of suicide, anxiety, and depression, Calm is riding a wave. So, after my meditation session, which was... I felt pretty good after it, I'll admit. I grabbed the kombucha from the company canteen, true story, and sat down with Michael to talk about building what he reckons will be a multi-billion dollar brand, getting rejected by pretty much every venture capitalist in this in Silicon Valley, how and when that all switched, and of course, his plans to buy an island. So, hope you enjoy it, and without further ado, here's Michael. Well, thank you for taking the time. Absolutely. Yeah, good to be here. So, Calm, you guys just raised a boatload of money. Yes, yeah, we did. A, um, we raised about $27 million at a $250 million valuation. I think that definitely raised a, a few eyebrows out there. Yeah. I mean, it's probably obvious, but what's the big idea? Calm started uh, the Lover five years ago, and Alex Chu, my business partner, and I we felt there was something in the air. There was a, a shift, a, a change happening where the world seemed to be getting more stressed. This accelerated, always-on lifestyle that so many of us were living didn't seem sustainable. We felt there was an opportunity to build a new type of brand that could soften that and counteract it and help people get a bit more balance and perspective in their lives. So we had the opportunity to buy the domain name calm.com, which we were very excited about. Took how, about much year. That, how much did that cost? <laughs> well, we don't, uh, we don't uh, talk about it too much, but it, it was a six-figure sum. It wasn't cheap. Quite a punchy way to do a Yeah, I was going to say, so five years ago, you're in the midst of Moshi Monster's madness. Yes. So how do you come about, how do you come to this? I mean, how do you find Alex? How does, what's the kind of origin story? Alex and I have been friends for, for over a decade. So okay. I met him when he had just done the Million Dollar Homepage, which was his crazy but genius idea to create a website with a million pixels on it and sell every pixel for a, a dollar. Right. <laughs> and everyone said he was completely mad. And four months later, he became a millionaire. <laughs> An amazing story of uh, how something can go viral, you know, if you seed it in the right way. Right. And it just took off like crazy. So I thought, wow, I need to meet this guy. And uh, I had the chance to, to meet him on a boat, Simon Woodruff's boat in, in London at a dinner party, the guy from Yosushi. Oh, okay. And was this like a, a boat or was it a boat? <laughs> it was a, uh, a, a boat that he lives on down, oh, down okay. in Chelsea. So really, uh, yeah, lovely dinner party. And Alex and I became friends. Long story short, we... Uh, got a house together with another buddy of ours, Malcolm in Soho, lived together for many years, and would always just be kicking around different business ideas. Alex uh, helped with a few Moshi projects. He had his own startups. And uh, we'd play FIFA on the sofa, Xbox, uh, mm. uh, kicking around these different ideas. Do you have um, a team in FIFA? Well, I'm an Arsenal fan, so uh, okay. I usually play Arsenal, or Brazil, if I, I needed a bit of extra <laughs> firepower. Are you a FIFA player? I used to play. And I am an Arsenal fan as well. Oh, okay. Excellent. 
so yeah, so um, Alex was working on a few different startups. I was obviously deep in the Moshi Monster. And then, yeah, we, uh, we bought the domain name. And so Alex moved to Silicon Valley and he started working on Calm. And I was the sort of silent uh, partner, would, um, was still working on Mind Candy. So was there a moment where you're like, my life is crazy or we see lots of people whose lives are crazy and we see an opportunity here? Well, it was, we just felt there was something out there in the air that this was going to be a big opportunity. Alex had been meditating since he was a teenager. And if I'm honest, I didn't fully understand it. Like a lot of people, I thought meditation was um, a bit woo-woo, a bit weird. (laughs) I thought it had all these religious connotations. And, you know, it it, it does and it can. But the light bulb for me was um, looking into the, the research, the scientific research on it. Hundreds of papers published every year now showing its connection to many different aspects of of health i was like oh my god this is amazing this genuinely rewires your brain this incredibly simple skill and uh, what if we could build a brand around it what if we could simplify it and make it accessible for the west and uh, use smartphones to distribute it surely we could build something enormous that would be very beneficial for the world so that was the kind of the moment when it really started to to gather pace in my own life Mind Candy obviously had been this incredible uh, journey, huge, unbelievable growth. If you could just pause for just a second, just in case people don't know, description of what Mind Candy slash Moshi Monsters was. So Mind there Candy is. started as an alternate reality game. We created this treasure hunt called Perplex City, and we buried a treasure somewhere in the world and offered a £100,000 reward for the first person that found this treasure. And we hid clues across all sorts of different media in the classified section of newspapers via fax machine. We created thermoreactive inks on these cards that would reveal passwords that would unlock certain websites and GPS locations and on and on and on. Eventually, someone found the the treasure and won the reward. It was incredibly exciting and creative. Where was the treasure? It was about 150 miles north of London in some woodland. And uh, we went there one evening to bury the treasure. And yeah, all the clues pointed to this point. So this chap found it and uh, he won the, the reward. And wrapped around it was this incredible story with all these characters set in this world of Perplex City. And we thought it was going to be the next big thing in entertainment. So creatively, it was incredible. Commercially, it was a bit of a disaster. And uh, we had a very passionate user base, but too small to sustain a a successful business. So we had to do one hell of a pivot. The money was running out fast. We'd been backed by Index and Axel, who were very supportive. When I came to them one board meeting and said, guys, this is not working, but I have this new idea around monsters and puzzles and kids' entertainment. And to their credit, they were like, all right, let's, let's give this a go. Let's see what happens. So we completely shifted 180. And that was the, the start of Moshi Monsters, which, again, was a slow burn for, for a year or two. And then suddenly caught fire uh, around 2009 and just grew like a rocket uh, for the next three years. And Moshi Monsters is what? So Moshi Monsters is a weird and wonderful world. It uh, was a website where kids could adopt their own monster, a bit like Tamagotchi. And uh, they did puzzles to earn rocks, which enabled them to look after their monster and go on adventures. It had a subscription model, so it had a digital heart. And then orbiting around it, we created all these physical products. So we had the number one best-selling kids magazine, the number one Nintendo DS game. We released... uh, album, music album with Sony, which went to number four in the charts. We created a movie with Universal. We sold hundreds of 
millions, I think, of toys and, and products. Um, it's about a billion dollars at, at retail value over the whole life of the Moshi adventure. So yeah, incredible. Kids loved it. Parents were maybe a little less keen because <laughs> of all the kind of the merchandise. But it, it was a it was a, just an amazingly creative, wonderful adventure. And uh, we built a brilliant team in London. We thought we were going to be the next Disney. And then what happened? <laughs> so we came down to earth with a, a bit of a bump. <laughs> so uh, all the charts were going up and to yeah. the right. And uh, we were winning awards and we were being written about in the press. And then in the summer of 2012, the numbers started to look a little bit worrying. And the red lights started to come on on all our dashboards. And we thought this might be just a little blip at the summer. But then in, as quickly as it grew, it started to, to come down. So that's so interesting. So do you know what happened? I think um, I think it's a couple of things. I think one was we were going through the switch from web to mobile. And right. I don't think we jumped on that quite as quickly and uh, as well as we could have done. The economics for a kid's web-based digital business are very different to mobile. You know, in mobile, there are... There are hundreds of thousands of games kids can play for free. And then you have all sorts of other channel challenges from you can't really run in-app purchases, et cetera, et cetera. So the economics completely shifted. Secondly, I think Moshi had had this amazing multi-year run, but playgrounds are full of products and brands that do super well. And then suddenly... It's a jungle flip. out there. It is. <laughs> it changes so quickly. So, uh, yeah, Moshi went from being red hot in the playground to, to less hot. The business is still going. It's being run by a, a great team in London. It's much smaller than it was. Axel have, have been an amazing partner and continue to support us. And uh, we're working on a really exciting new brand at the moment called Moshi Twilight, which is a way of using all the characters and the stories to help kids sleep and um, to help them relax in the evenings, which is a really So kind of injecting thing. a bit of calm into Moshi. A little bit of calm into Moshi, yeah. It's a, a good way of putting it. Getting amazing reviews and feedback from, from parents. So yeah, Moshi is, uh, is still going, but it's yeah, a different business to the one it was a few years ago. How did you end up out here? So during several years of trying to re-spark Moshi, and going through multiple rounds of redundancies and watching the, the revenue collapse, a very stressful, difficult time. I started to learn, as I say, more about meditation and got a lot more perspective and balance into my own life. And I realized that I was a much better builder and creator of businesses than a restructurer. <laughs> so I um, had a lot of conversations with the board and decided that uh, I would step back and we bring in a new CEO. And so that was around the time that I realized um, coming out here and running Calm full-time with Alex would be the next big adventure. And so it was about, uh, yeah, about two and a half years ago, uh, came out here, got a place two blocks from the office. And nice. um, I must say I'm loving it. I love London, but Silicon Valley has been a, a very steep, exciting learning curve as well. I'm sure. I'm sure. <laughs> yeah, as you well well know, yes, there's lots yes. of Brits out here, isn't there? Yeah, Loads there of friends have, have come. Andy McLaughlin and Michael Birch and mm -hmm. our buddy Malcolm. And so it's, yeah, really good crew out here. And so when you came out here, Alex had already been out here mm -hmm. kind of working on this thing. Was that, What was calm when you arrived? So we were very much focused on building a great uh, meditation experience. We were a meditation app and we work with a brilliant 
teacher called Tamara Levitt. She'd created a lot of our content. The great thing about teaching meditation is it, it is this very valuable skill for people, but it's hard to build a moat around that. You know, you can learn meditation in a host of different ways. And this was the feedback we got continually from investors. Nice business, numbers are looking reasonable, but, you know, we don't think this is a venture-backable company. So Alex and I spent a lot of time thinking and, and talking about this, and I think we realized that we needed to broaden the offering. And what we've done over the last couple of years is expand Calm into something that's way more than a meditation app. The exciting thing here is that it is around, we're building something around mental wellness, mental fitness. We're using unique audio content to help people transform their lives. It sounds simple, but it's very, very powerful when you sit and you put your headphones on and you listen to content that can genuinely rewire your brain. So meditation is almost like the base level. You know, our brains evolved over hundreds of thousands of years in a very different setting to the place we find ourselves now in cities. We lived in hunter-gatherer communities. We were part of a tribe. We lived out in nature. And so what meditation does is almost like a, um, a software upgrade for our ancient brains. And once you have that in place, there's so many other ways you can then improve your brain. So we've created content around giving up unhealthy habits. We've created content around mindful eating. We've created these amazing stories, uh, sleep stories that help you fall asleep faster and, and better at night and on and on and on. And there's going to be hundreds of hours of, of content we create that enable people to, to live their best lives. So the kind of analog is what happened with physical fitness 50 years ago. That wasn't really a thing to go out and do exercise. Yeah. And then doctors came along and said, this is good for <laughs> you. Sorry, of, um, have you seen um, Anchorman? Yes. Love when, he's, uh, when he's talking about, he's like, this is like set in the 70s or whatever. And he's like, I'm going to go do this new thing called jogging or maybe called jogging with a soft j i think it's got a soft j exactly exactly that and and that was that that was the environment back then right so you know, we're, at, we're at the jogging phase if you went jogging people would ask what are you running from there's a brilliant book shoe dog by um phil knight the creator of, of oh, nike yes. so good and he used to go jogging back in the 70s and people would drive past him and honk their horns and throw beer cans at him so um seems crazy now, but that was the environment. But he had the vision to, to realize that it was going to be a big thing. And then aerobics came along and Jane Fonda and yoga. And now look at, you know, the environment. Yeah. So we think we are right at the start of an unbelievable new wave that will be just as big as physical fitness around mental fitness. And it seems obvious, but why do we not treat our minds with the same care and respect as many of us do our bodies? People seem to be waking up to that now in droves. And that's why mental health, mental wellness is part of the, the zeitgeist at the moment. And we think multi-billion dollar businesses are going to be built in this space over the next few years. And Calm being one of them. We hope so. Yeah. Right. How do you ensure that this does not, as this just is not ensuring that this does not become another like flash in the pan because this is of the moment like we were talking there's a time well spent movement this whole backlash against tech but these things go in waves you know this could all dissipate couldn't it it could it could and that was again a lot of feedback we got from the many many investors that that said no to us yeah mindfulness surely this is just a fad or if it's not will people really pay for this we very very strongly believe that it's it's not that this is transformational in society just as physical fitness was 
The brain is the most complex thing in the known universe, yet it doesn't come with an instruction manual. It is the frame through which we view the world. It is the, you know, we can make a, a hell of heaven and a, a heaven of hell, as um, I think it was John Milton said. Surely this is fundamental to being human, to understand what is going on up there in our heads, to enable us not just to survive in 21st century life, but to thrive, to sleep better, to improve our relationships, to become better leaders, to find more joy and happiness in our life. And something needs to happen. People need to take more responsibility for their mental well-being. Look at the rise in anxiety, the rise in depression, the incredible rise in in suicide. It's quite shocking. So we think this is a very, very serious movement that's going to be here to stay. One thing I think is interesting, and I guess it makes sense, but you're using the phone as the medium. (laughs) So it's kind of like, you know, this is your kind of Trojan horse in a way of getting this thing to actually make us feel better through this thing that oftentimes makes us feel worse. Indeed, we get asked that a lot, you know, and the irony isn't lost on us (laughs) because you're right, the wonderful iPhone that's a little over 10 years old is responsible for a lot of the stress and anxiety we're feeling, but we don't believe it's at fault. The way we think about this is the technology and the smartphone is a tool and how we use it is key. And so with any tool, it can be used for, for good or for bad. And this is why learning to meditate and becoming a little more conscious and a little bit more aware of our actions to enable us to use these incredibly powerful devices for us instead of against us. So we become masters of our devices, not slaves uh, to them. And that's what meditation does. One of the key things it improves and it sharpens our attention. So instead of mindlessly whipping out our phone when we're waiting in a bus queue or in the lift or walking down the street like the dopamine frazzle zombies we see everywhere, you can pause and you can decide, no, I'm going to um, continue walking. I'm going to give the attention to the person I'm chatting to. I'm going to continue daydreaming. And I think that's uh, a very powerful shift when that happens. Well, it's really interesting. So I have a, a 20-month-old son. I noticed when I was trying to rock him to sleep, you know, at 2 or 3 or whenever in the morning, I'd have to be in the dark. I couldn't have my phone. And obviously I was awake. Yeah. And it was during those moments where I would actually have thoughts would occur to me. And then I've been reading a lot lately around the death of boredom. Yes. About how, you know, you stop at a stoplight in your car and obviously you just reach your phone and just check whatever. But it's those moments where you might just be, as you say, daydreaming happen much. It's much more seldom than it used to be. Yes. And I think that's a huge loss for society because daydreaming, not only does it give the body the chance to relax and step away from a screen for a few moments, all these wonderful, creative, quirky ideas lurking in our subconscious start bubbling to the surface. And how few of us give ourselves the chance to do that anymore. Most people wake up and the first thing they do, they reach for their phone. (laughs) And uh, the last thing they do at night is tap away in their phone. And I was guilty of that. And I've tried to be much more aware of how I use my phone now. So one of the biggest simple shifts I've made in my life since running Calm has been I keep my phone on airplane mode throughout the whole night and I keep it on airplane mode until I've left the house and I'm sitting in a coffee shop and that 30, 40, 50 minutes in the morning where I can daydream in the shower, where I can just think and scribble down thoughts in my notebook is so valuable 
But, you know, you see most people now, and as you say, they're not giving themselves the chance to do that daydreaming and get into a state of flow, which I think is extremely important as well. I'm fascinated by this concept. Mikhail Chikmahalensky, I think his, his name is, this state where you are stretched and you lose yourself in time, whether you're painting or playing a video game or working on a new business challenge. Fewer and fewer of us are getting into that state. I think it will lead to fewer and fewer breakthrough, extraordinary creative ideas. iOS helps you control which apps you share your exact location with. There's more to iPhone. Ready to pop the question? The jewelers at BlueNile.com have got sparkle down to a science with beautiful lab-grown diamonds worthy of your most brilliant moments. Their lab-grown diamonds are independently graded and guaranteed identical to natural diamonds, and they're ready to ship to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what Big Wireless does. They charge you a lot, we charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. I met the guys at Headspace, mm-hmm. which is obviously a massive operation. Yes. Um, have you been to their Santa Monica I have. office? I yeah, have. I hear it's uh, an amazing space. It is. It is. But you guys... Well, are still much smaller, but we're much, much smaller. But you're profitable, is that right? Yes, yeah. And we, we had no choice but to be profitable because so many investors said no to us. How many said no to you? <laughs> many, many, many dozens, possibly. Many dozens? Many dozens, maybe even... Um, so were you just going up and down Sand Hill Road <laughs> and all over London just looking for... Pretty much, mainly, mainly out here. I mean, we had a lot of very respectful conversations, but I just don't think the penny had had dropped. And I think people couldn't see this being a big, big business. And then something changed dramatically last year where we started getting an insane amount of inbound. Really? We we had multiple term sheets. We had incredible offers coming in. And it's crazy just just in a matter of months to go from barely getting meetings to having investors hugely lean forward. Were you being kind of laughed out of the room previously (laughs) or just dismissed like, no, this is just not a business? We were never laughed out of the room, but kind of we heard sort of back channels. Some investors were just a bit dismissive of it and just thought it was just silly. Again, as I say, the biggest feedback was just you can't build a, a moat around this. It's just too many other ways. It's probably not going to be a big thing. Are people really going to pay for this, et cetera, et cetera? Right. So um, maybe we weren't Californian enough, Alex and I, in our kind of way of selling the story. We were mm. probably a little bit too lean back and humble about it. But we genuinely believe we're going to build a multi, multi billion dollar business here. You know, we're, we're almost at a million paying subscribers, 27 a million. A million paying subscribers? Yeah, uh, 27 million downloads. Um, incredible conversion rate that's just growing all the time. Very profitable, generating a lot of free cash flow every month. 
over $6 million a month in revenue, um, forecasting $80 million this year, $22 million last year in revenue, up from $7 million the year before, 3x growth year on year, minimum. It's a phenomenal business with a team of 33 people, and the cost of content is incredibly cheap. So yeah. you look at these sub- digital subscription businesses like Spotify, that have wafer thin margins or Netflix that's paying $12 billion a year <laughs> to acquire their content. And this is very different. You know, maybe we won't ever get to 120 million paying subscribers like Netflix has, but we can see this business having tens of millions of paying subscribers. And that is a very significant multi, multi billion dollar business. And that is just the digital heart. What happens when we start taking this incredible brand offline and we do retail outlets and clothing and book publishing and magazines and hotels and islands this can be the nike for the mind how much does it cost a month so it's 60 dollars a year is the subscription and some people do monthly and there's a few people on slightly slower amounts and we're playing with the price in different territories but it's mostly 60 60 bucks a year Right. We think is amazing value compared to, uh, you know, going to see a therapist or having a one-to-one meditation teacher or paying for sleeping medication. We yeah. think, as I say, uh, fantastic value. Just a, a couple of. Because um, you do so, you do meditation. You also do sleep. Yeah. So sleep has been one of the biggest successes of of the last year, and it came about in a really interesting way. So we were looking at the data. We isolated people's time of meditating by their time zone. We noticed there was this big spike every evening about 10, 30, 11 o'clock. That was when people generally go to bed and they were using Tamara's voice, the meditations to help them fall asleep. And meditation isn't really designed to do that. Um, We realized that what if we could create soothing, relaxing content stories that would help you drift off to to dreamland. Bedtime stories for grown-ups. Again, it seems like a super simple, slightly silly idea, but it's been massively successful. And it's a little more complex than it seems. We heard that a lot of people will listen to podcasts at nighttime Mm. or an audio book or they'll put on Netflix. But, you know, you don't know whether there's going to be a car chase or an explosion or some bang. But we created these stories with incredible narrators that start in an engaging way. So it's very interesting to begin with. And then slowly it gets more and more soporific and the pauses between words get longer and your brain goes from its active state beta into alpha into theta and you drift off to to sleep and we have well over five million stories listened to every month and uh, it's as big as the meditation content and so a lot of a lot of people subscribe to calm just because of the sleep and then they stay for the meditation and it's yeah it's opened up a whole new front for us and so you talked about earlier about how this rewires the mind so you can talk a little bit about what what does that actually mean? Because you mentioned there's a lot of research backing this up. Yeah. So what does the research say? Yeah. So um, in kind of simplistic terms, what it does is it changes the relationship between your amygdala, the lizard part, the oldest part of your brain. It, that keeps us safe. That keeps us uh, safe from danger. But that gets triggered so often in 21st century life. Mm. And, uh, you know, you're crossing the road and a, and a car s- sort of honks its horn at you or someone says something to you and, and you react and it floods your body with cortisol and adrenaline and puts many of us in a constant state of chronic stress, which causes so many knock-on unhealthy effects for the body. 
And what meditation does is it kind of changes the relationship between the old part of your brain and the newest part of your brain, the prefrontal cortex, where we're able to make more longer term decisions, where we're able to one way of putting it is it enables us to react to situations in life instead of that trigger response. And you can still get angry, you can still shout at people, but you have a fraction of a second more to pause and think about what your response is going to be. Again, as simple as that sounds, that changes everything. It changes whether you go to the fridge and mindlessly open the door for a, a tub of ice cream. It changes whether you're going to shout at your partner rather than kind of think of, of what they might have meant. So I think that's really powerful. So many, many different health benefits. One of the, the key things, one of the ways I describe it is it's almost like going to the gym. Meditation isn't just sitting on a on a pillow and just chilling out, although there are benefits of, mm. you know, soothing your body and calming you down that way. It's hard work. And going to the gym is hard work. Imagine lifting weights, that pressure, that that tension, that resistance builds up your physical muscles. Meditating builds up your mental muscles. Because when you sit down to meditate, your mind is going to wander. Everyone does. The mind doesn't like to be still. And what you're doing is you're recognizing that. And when your mind wanders, you bring it back to a constant. Yeah, because well, of what we just did there. Yeah. It's relaxing, but it's not easy. No, it's definitely not easy. It's hard work. Yeah. <laughs> and that's what I think a lot of people don't understand. Anything that's good for us is hard work. So when that mind wanders, you bring it back. And then if you're a normal human being, your mind will wander again. And you bring it back and again and again. And so that's why it's a practice. And the more you do it, the more you become aware in everyday life of your mind wandering and going on to autopilot. And the more your attention muscle increases. And as I say, that is incredibly valuable for, for everyday life. Well, it's funny because we also have things that people out here these days are like microdosing LSD <laughs> and all these different ways to try to tap into that creative part of your brain. But this, this is the kind of the drug-free way, it seems. Exactly. I think that's a, a really good way of putting it. They'll kind of get you to the same place. Yeah. But one is a sailboat and one is a rocket ship. <laughs> and uh, I think it was Sam Harris that, that said that. Yeah, psychedelics are fascinating for a whole host of reasons. And there's incredible scientific research going on around how they do something similar. And again, I'm going to do this in a very simple way. But taking psilocybin like magic mushrooms, reduces the activity of the default mode network in the brain, which is almost like our ego. It's our control center. And when that's allowed to go down, different parts of the brain start connecting in ways they, they don't normally get to do. So that's why there might be hallucinations. You know, right. you might see things or hear things or, or think new things. And to help people with mental health by doing that in a clinical setting with someone guiding you and, and watching you carefully what it does is it can rewire the brain in very powerful ways the structure the rigidity that might have come about if you have ocd or ptsd or depression can be allowed to relax and you come back and see the world in a different way and so some of the early studies have been mind-blowing the problem of course is these drugs have such stigma because yeah. of the war on drugs in the you know well, 60s yeah. and 70s there is danger involved of course but again if the proper research is done if they're handled in the correct clinical ways i think this is just about the most exciting area of of neuroscience and, and mental health at the moment now, meditation and mindfulness, again, as I say, is another way of getting there, but it's slightly slower. Yeah. I think both working in tandem can be a powerful solution. 
can we go way back? How where'd far you back? <laughs> all the way back? Like where'd you grow up? What was your so uh, I was I was born on a, a dark and stormy night in, in the mid seventies. <laughs> the window panes were rattling. Uh, I was I was one of those slightly annoying kids that was always coming up with entrepreneurial ideas. Driving Where'd you grow up? I was born in London, but we moved when I was very young to a little town called Marlow on the River Thames. I had amazing parents that were very supportive and encouraging of all my madcap ideas. What was your maddest, cappiest <laughs> idea? Oh, I had a, um, I got a ZX Spectrum 48K computer okay. uh, that uh, changed my life. I loved it so much and I tried to do programming on it and wasn't very good. But I created a, a computer games magazine that I sold at school. And very bad market research. Only two of my friends had <laughs> ZX Spectrum. Right. So I didn't sell so my copies. So you had a limited, limited, uh, limited customer audience base. And uh, couldn't figure out distribution <laughs> beyond my, my classroom. So that was a bad start. I think my worst business escapade was um, when I was very young. I set up a stall outside my house and found some rocks in the garden and tried to sell the rocks. You tried to sell rocks. Rocks to passers-by. Brilliant concept, I thought, because... Well, because this is the early forerunner of the pet rock. That, well, <laughs> but I, I wasn't smart enough to, to no, add... you didn't have the marketing... ...brand or, or anything else. else. then. You know, cost of goods was, uh, was zero. <laughs> <laughs> Infinite margin. Sadly, zero sales. So I should have been as smart as the guy that did the pet rock and put some little eyes on them and, yeah, and exactly. packaged them up. Yeah. He became a multimillionaire with that crazy idea. So yeah, and I washed cars and I did a BMX stunt show in the front garden and yeah, all sorts of silly stuff. You sell so tickets to it? I yeah. did. And again, no one, no one came. No one. <laughs> so yeah, uh, quite a challenging, uh, <laughs> quite a challenging um, uh, right. upbringing. But again, super supportive parents that, that would often, you know, my mum, I think was the only person that came to the, the BMX stunt show and she paid well, her 2p yeah. entry fee. And, oh, uh, <laughs> very nice. What did your parents do? So my dad was a teacher at an American airbase. His passion was always books. And just before he retired, he became a librarian. So he would bring oh, wow. home amazing books to me and my sister. So I think that's where my love of reading comes from. My mum was a nurse and a chiropodist. And again, yeah, just very, very supportive of all these silly ideas. <laughs> and did you go to uni? Or did you drop out? Or did you both? Uh, no, sadly, I don't have the, the dropout tale like Bill oh. Gates or, <laughs> or um, Steve Jobs. I went to Birmingham University. I studied geography. I met some incredible friends. In fact, it was Tom Boardman who I met at Birmingham and my good buddy Matt Schoen. And uh, Tom and I created Firebox together, which was our first business. What's Firebox? Firebox sold toys, games, and gadgets back in 1998. So it was like a high street retailer type of thing. Yeah, but we did it online. So Ah, um, we were one of the first online retailers. There was the innovations catalog. There was Sharper Image. There was the gadget shop. And we thought this thing called the internet was, was quite exciting. And so from our attic in Cardiff... We cobbled together a website and started selling these quirky products. How'd Firebox go? It's still going. Firebox just, really? just had its 20th birthday, <laughs> so which is slightly bizarre. And Tom is still running it with our other friend, Chris, based in Shoreditch. And uh, yeah, a real veteran <laughs> of the digital age. <laughs> yeah. And again, I remember you know quitting my job and telling my boss I was going to set up a... Um, what was your job? I ran the company car scheme for investment banks in London. I wanted to work in the city. I wanted to be an investment banker. I thought that was the most exciting, glamorous job in the world. So you went from, you studied geography (laughs) in Birmingham, and you're like, I'm going to go to London and become an investment banker. Indeed. I had a slightly circuitous Mm. path. As Steve Jobs says, you can never really connect the dots looking forward. You can only look back. 
And it was there when I was helping put investment bankers into um, their company cars that I realized that probably wasn't the right life for me. <laughs> I, was, I would spend most of my time daydreaming and doodling and thinking of business ideas. So Tom and I created Firebox. It was called Hotbox and we had to change the name because hotbox.com was something very different. It was one of the world's largest porn sites. Uh, so that was a little awkward. Yeah, my mum would proudly tell her friends to go to hotbox.com. Oh, dear. <laughs> Caused caused uh, a few yeah. a few slightly awkward like Michael's gone off the reservation uh, he's gone yeah no longer BMX done shows <laughs> this is much darker um, fortunately we can all see the funny side now but so we changed the name to Firebox and sold all these toys and gadgets and, and it was quite a slow tough process because Google was only just getting going Amazon had only just started we didn't have much competition but we didn't have many customers not, yeah not many people on the internet <laughs> no so. it was very little and it to was a order, 56k oh dial up, dial up yeah. to order from us you had to go to our website you had to find it first which was extremely difficult <laughs> then you had to print off our order form you had to fill it in with a pen then you had to fax it back to us with your credit card details then I would get these faxes fax fax (laughs) I would get these faxes in the evening and type in type them into our PDQ machine which would spit out the receipt and if it went through I would then type in your details into our CRM system and an invoice and a a label would be printed and then every few days I'd go to the post office and and post off the order that was uh, it didn't scale very well but luckily we only had about you know one or two orders a week so it was uh, well so you're good (laughs) we were were very happy so from selling rocks to firebox to Moshi monsters and everything in between I think calm is the one that's gonna really take off I think they've all been great businesses and I've, I've all learned. Except uh, for the rocks. That's not still going. And I've learned a huge, <laughs> huge amount from everyone. You know, it has been a, an incredible journey of ups and downs. But I think Calm is the one that by far has the most potential. You know, Alex and I often talk about how this is the kind of thing we could spend the rest of our career working on. It's very rare to find a business that has such extraordinary commercials, you know, huge margins, huge growth and profit, but also is good and positive for the world. Yeah. You know, a lot of people in the Valley talk about changing the world. You don't have uh, to feel like an asshole every day. <laughs> no, exactly. Like a lot of people do. <laughs> it's, it's easy to get out of work. And whenever we have a tough day, we just look at the reviews we get in the app store. You know, 200,000 five-star reviews, genuinely changing people's lives in, in incredible ways. Yeah, we feel very lucky to, to work on such a big project. Right. Is there one lesson that you've gleaned from all these previous experiences you've had with the other businesses? I think staying humble and uh, hungry is very, very important. Just because your numbers are going bonkers and up and to the right, as they were, Mind Candy doesn't mean you will stay on that trajectory forever. You know, a lot of amazing businesses have an S-curve growth start slow and then suddenly you hit your stride and then as you get to scale it will start slowing down so just being conscious of that I think is important it's a bit of a cliche but people (laughs) surrounding yourself with extraordinary people not hiring like crazy but hiring very very carefully and calm has the most phenomenal team enabling us to do so much with such a small team Probably the other one is uh, our mantra at the moment, which is, um, we talk about it internally, as deep focus. When a business is doing well, there are so many opportunities. Our inboxes are flooded with partnership ideas and investment offers mm. and you name it. 
And we are staying laser-like focused on the core business at the moment, which is our digital subscription. Tweaking and iterating and squeezing out 1% and 2% improvements here and there, which compound. And, and when everyone is focused laser-like like that, that's how you create huge, huge success. A great quote years ago, investors sometimes talk about that I love, is the main thing is to keep the main thing the main thing. And you look at all the successful businesses in the world, they may do a lot of things now, like Google, but in the early days, and Amazon, they did one thing better than anyone else in the world. If we are right in our thesis that mental fitness will be as big as physical fitness, this is going to be a big, big, big company. So what are you going to use the money for that you just raised? (laughs) Well, one of the exciting positions we were in was when the investors started leaning in and making offers. We didn't need the money. We We had a great balance sheet. We were throwing off a lot of cash. But that enabled us to get a really, really good deal for us. And we believe the investors' insight, who've been fantastic, got a good deal as well. We basically just strengthened the balance sheet. We may not spend any of it, but we've got it if we need it. We're running tests for TV at the moment, and we think that could be a huge opportunity. For ads. For ads, yeah. Right. And again, it seems crazy in this digital age to run TV ads, but I think if you buy correctly and you create the right creative, I think you can generate a huge, huge audience from, from right. TV. Could be a great way of accessing parts of America that currently don't meditate. There's Which is most. Which is most. And as we know, there are all sorts of political and other challenges in those parts of the world. I mean, that could be huge if we could access those audiences with with meditation. We're also very excited about going international. Calm is only in English-speaking nations at the moment. But America, which is by far our biggest market, is just 4.5% of the world's population. So big upside there. We think there's potential in taking Calm into corporations and the whole B2B. So that's uh, an area that we're starting to look at. And then some of these offline projects, uh, ultimately, we'd love to buy an island and uh, create Calm Island. And who wouldn't? Who wouldn't, exactly. <laughs> but, you know, it's, we didn't mention that during our investment discussions. <laughs> I think that's probably not a good use of capital. But we would run it as a profit center, and it would be an amazing part of the Calm brand that people could visit. Are you looking for islands right now? Yes, but it's uh, not most of my time. It's right. uh, usually weekends you and evenings. You should t- talk to Richard Branson about that. <laughs> he, sure he did knows. pretty well with NECA, didn't he? He did. It's kind of like a fun side project. We mentioned at our last Calm retreat that we did that if we hit our revenue targets, we would start looking to, to buy an island. I think it's a, a good use of a small part of the profit we're generating. Right. And I know we touched on this before last time we spoke, but I do think it is interesting that four Brits... <laughs> are behind the two biggest meditation companies, which is the most California thing of all time. Yes. Do you have any sense of how that ended up being so? Because uh, as you know, we Brits, I'll say we because I have a passport, <laughs> love to be snarky yes. and love to kind of take the piss out of the crunchy Californians with their yoga pants <laughs> and their kale smoothies. Yep. Well, I think the cynicism in Britain is is great. It helps keep everyone grounded and (laughs) we can laugh at ourselves and is important for that humility on the flip side there's nothing quite like the californian positivity that you know a meeting where everyone is bouncing and banging the table with excitement and anything is possible but i think when you mix these two which i think the headspace guys and calm guys have done you you transport that healthy cynicism to the go-go-ness of california i think magic is created why do you think it is why do you think uh, I've, I, I was I was thinking about that on the way over and I, I'm drawing a blank to be honest 
because it does seem su- such a kind of un-British thing in a way. Because having grown up here in California and living over there for many years, it was just like, if you're ever going to come up with a company that's doing what you're doing, you wouldn't think that it would be a bunch of Brits <laughs> who'd come up with the two kind of world's biggest companies doing this. Agreed. Maybe it is because there were many people doing out here in California. Mm. But they were coming from the traditional sense of mindfulness and meditation. And, you know, you probably can imagine the the branding. It was very lotus flower. It was very bells and long flowing robes. And this is much more understated. And what we did was we took the brand approach and we tried to make it cool and accessible and simplify it. And we took a new approach to it. I think that's uh, where the magic has come from. Alex and I both love building brands. Andy and Rich uh, understand that world extremely well as well. And I think that's been the missing piece that has, has made the magic. And that is all the time we have. I want to thank Michael for taking the time to sit down and also letting me invade uh, the sanctuary for a little bit of meditation um, as an outsider, which was cool. I might even try a bit of it myself going forward. And we will be back next week. And in the meantime, we'll be writing about, I'm actually writing a profile of Michael in the newspaper this weekend. So you can check that out at the Sunday Times. You can go online at thetimes.co.uk. You can find me on Twitter at Danny Fortson or email at danny.fortson at sunday-times.co.uk. Until next week, thanks. Bye-bye. As you're listening to me, Daisy, Apple's iPhone disassembly robot, is dismantling an iPhone into lots of recyclable parts. That's how Apple recovers more materials than conventional recycling methods. Thanks, Daisy. There's more to iPhone. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Cats and cat owners deserve better than any old-fashioned litter. That's why I teamed up with scientists and veterinarians to create Pretty Litter. Its innovative crystal formula has superior odor control and weighs up to 80% less than clay litter. Pretty Litter even monitors health by changing colors to help detect early signs of potential illness. It's the world's smartest kitty litter. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details.